the National Archives podcast series, The National Register of Archives, presented by Alex Ritchie. Well, ladies and gentlemen, again, I can say thank you very much for coming. And if I seem slightly nervous this afternoon, it could be because this is my first podcast. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, let me rush to assure you that I don't either. (laughs) But apparently it's happening. What I'm going to do is just to make a few introductory remarks, and then the substance of my talk will actually be a demonstration using the screen in the same way that you would use the screen if you were searching the National Register of Archives, as I hope you will. If as I go along there's anything that isn't clear, please feel free just to interject and and, and ask me questions at that point, because I often find it's better. Talks work better if I'm actually answering your questions one way or another, and if things aren't clear, then, you know, just jog me and I will try to make them clearer for you. Okay. So the, I was just going to say that the, the National Register of Archives was a, a, a function of the Historical Manuscripts Commission. And that continues with the, because the, with the bringing together of the Public Record Office and the Historical Manuscripts Commission in 2003, the royal warrant that was given to the Historical Manuscripts Commission remains in force. And one of the things that we had to do under that royal warrant was maintain a National Register of Archives. Uh, So that is a continuing function. Now, the National Register of Archives, or the NRA, as I'll call it from now on for the sake of brevity, the NRA was established in 1945. And until recently, it's it's consisted mainly of paper catalogues which have been contributed to us by uh, various repositories around the country. Uh, And the way that we've dealt with this, uh, for the most part, is that we have given the catalogues numbers and we have filed them in binders. Uh, And that is still the case today, to some extent, in that we've, nobody knows quite how much content there is in the NRA, but we estimate, it about, we estimate it at its peak at about 2 million pages. Now, some of you may have run across this before, but this is what it looks like. At its peak, we had about 3,000 of these, what we call Kalamazoo's. They're called Kalamazoo's because that's the name of the manufacturer, and, and they're just, they're punch and file binders, so that we put the reports in as they come into us. What happens is that we give them a title and a number, and then we put them on the shelf. And if you find the number in the indexes, you can find the list on the shelf. And that's how it works, and they've got covering numbers in the spine. Does that make sense? Is that clear? I'll pass this around amongst you so you can see uh, what it looks like. But things appear in no particular order. So that here, for example, we start with Barnsley and District Trade. Trade Union Council, and that's followed by, well, Barnsley Trade Union Council and District Labour Party, and then Swindon and District Keep Fit Association, Lincoln County Hospital, and so on. So things aren't in any order, but the whole idea was that they would keep things simple so that if you have a number, you can find the list. If you have the list, then you can, you can see what the, the content of that particular report is. 
So the NRA number is quite important. If you can find an NRA number, it means there is a list available. It means that you're going to get some detail for whatever it is that you want to look at. So can I just pass that around amongst you? How many of you have uh, used the NRA um, before now? Okay. Well, I can see I'm reaching lots of new converts today. Increasingly, we're deriving our growth from electronic sources. And indeed, as we, may, uh, as we find adequate placements for the hard copy lists, what we're doing is withdrawing quite a lot of them. But that's an ongoing process. And at the moment, about 40% of the numbers uh, linked to online finding aids uh, and in the indexes that figure is about 30% but that's continuing all the time. Now the NRA has always been at the forefront of computerization and we had a computerized personal index far back as the 1970s. In other words that long ago even when I started work we had something which was computerized. Uh, the computer was kept off-site at Norwich uh, and we had to submit input sheets to it. And once a year, they would give it a printout. Now, not very many copies of it have survived, but I have with me today uh, just one of those. If you have a look at that, you can see what the, the index used to look like. We got that printed out once a year because it was too bulky to do uh, any other time. It would come out at about 3,000 pages each. And we'd also distribute copies to uh, some of the major libraries around the country, such as the Bodleian in Oxford and, and the Scottish Record Office, as it was then called, in, in Edinburgh, and so that they would have a copy of that as well. So there was a kind of very limited distribution of our assets elsewhere. But that was our first experience of computerization. In 1987, they sort of comprehensively introduced computerization to our office systems. Uh, in, the 19, in 1995, our indexes were made available remotely for the first time, and that continues. We linked them now directly to a lot of online catalogues and archival networks. And the personal index, which I'm going to show you, is also linked to things like the Oxford Dictionary of National Biography. And I'll show you an example of that. Two other things I'm going to mention before I get into the substance of the talk. One is ARCON and the other is our annual accessions exercise. ARCON is the sort of flip side of the information. Once you find your information, the next thing you need to know is where that, in, where that material is and how you can access it. Uh, and that's where ARCON comes in. ARCON is a kind of contraction made from archives online. And it's basically an online directory of repositories that have contributed to the National Register of Archives. Now, as is going to become clear, that's, uh, that's not only UK-wide, but it also covers a, a large number of repositories in other countries. In fact, over 500 repositories in 45 different overseas countries. But more of that shortly. And then there is an, another um, source of information for us, which is our annual accessions exercise. At the end of every year, we approach collecting repositories in the UK and we say to them, OK, would you be kind enough to tell us what you've received in the past year? And that is what they do. And we edit that information. We incorporate it into our indexes. And we also edit it into a series of thematic digests. So that if you're interested in business history 
or Jewish history or maritime history, there is a digest on that subject just for you. So in that way we have, have a good idea of what's going into repositories and it uh, gives us an early warning of what's available and what we hope, would hope in future will be the cases that we'll get a fuller description in due course. Let me emphasize that it's a good idea to keep your... We have the functionality that you can conduct um, sophisticated searches, but there is no uh, point really in doing a search which is any more complicated than it needs to be. So I'm going to do... We've all done it. We've searched for ourselves. So I'm going to search under my own name now, and what that does is it does a combined search of the personal index and the diaries and papers index to, sort of, to see how many riches there are there. So the, it's picked up people, some of whom don't actually have the surname Ritchie. We'll move on to them. Let's have a look at this chap here, James Ritchie, Church of Scotland minister. Um, so what we've got here is we've been able to... He, he's somebody who belongs to a well-defined occupational group. And it, you always know that if you find a Church of Scotland minister, you're going to be able to find biographical information about them. And that means that you can fix you know, pretty clearly who they are and therefore define them quite well. So we've got, got all that information up there. We've, and, and then you, you see that we've got um, the, the related records. So there is a journal, uh, and that journal is not held in a repository because it says the collection is held privately. It's, an, it's a case of sending an inquiry to the National Register of Archives for Scotland. And if you were going to send an inquiry to them saying you wanted to look at this particular document, then you would quote their number. That's the NRAS number there. A little bit confusing, I grant, but that's the number that they, they have. They're, where there's NRA, that's us. Where there's NRAS, that's them. But that's our sister register in Edinburgh. And ideally, on a good day, you should be able to link to their online catalogue and get a description of that. But I'm afraid today is not a good day. We're expecting an update on links to the National Archives of Scotland and its associated sites. Uh, but that's not just happened yet. We've also, however, got a, a, an NRA number so that if you were interested, if you wanted to see that in hard copy, you could go to the report with that number. Now, that's all useful information for, uh, for whoever wants to look at that, but I, I mean, for myself, I wouldn't want to look at it because the, this gentleman was my grandfather and I have the journal at home. But it just goes to show that you don't need to, you don't necessarily need to be sort of, have any famous ancestors, just as long as they are, belong to a group that's well defined, or indeed who've left uh, any material at all of any kind. Because you can see there are, there are two types of people here. There are people who are quite well defined. I mean, there's Baron Ritchie, the, the statesman, and. In addition to that, there's somebody who we can only really describe as J.B. Ritchie, who belonged to the Manx Battalion of the Home Guard. So you can do a personal name search that will search people who are very well described, and some, well, that's the best. Maybe there's more information that we could get about them, but that's the best we can do for the moment. I emphasize to people that anything about the National Register of Archives, it, it, you have to think of it as a work in progress. 
There are a lot of people who possibly could be better identified than they are, but at the time that they were indexed, we didn't, perhaps didn't have the resources to do so. But, so there's, there's scope for a lot of enhancement of the information that we've got. Uh, and indeed, people sometimes write into us and, and point things out, and, uh, and we, sort of, you know, we make the necessary corrections. I said that there's, th there's two sides of the same coin, if you like. That on the one hand, there's information about records, and then there's information about where they are. Where you see the repository, if I click on the link here, what that's going to do is it's going to take you through to the Archon directory. And it's taken you through to the page for the Manx National Heritage Library. So you've got all your, um, all your contact information here. And in addition to it, down here, what you've got is a list of all the things that we have indexed from that source. And so if, the, if you want the NRA catalogues, then it would, would tell you the numbers of all the catalogues that we've got in the National Register of Archives. Now, in addition to names, you can do, there's a limited facility to do things by description. So that if you were looking for a well-defined occupational group, let's say Archbishops of Canterbury, then that might be one way of looking for it. You would just put Canterbury in the description and, and it would bring up the Archbishops. Or we'll try something a little bit briefer. Let's just see how we're off for spies. Of course, there are probably more spies than we know about. That's very much in the nature of the business. But here we are, we've got people such as George Blake, Anthony Blunt, keeper of the Queen's pictures, and keeper of a number of secrets as well. So you can see that we've got his description here. Um, if I click on historical information, you can see there there is the link to the Oxford Dictionary of National Biography. And if we do that, it opens up another window. And there's our man. Our spy is unmasked, so to speak. But we'll go back to that information. And you can see that there is a feature of, of this, which is that we've got, in addition to having the information in hard copy, or which we may not have any longer, we've got a link to an online catalogue which takes you to a description of that. And the description can be in a number of places. It can be the repository's own catalogue, or it can be a network such as AIM25. I don't know whether these names mean very much to you. Some of you will know them. Most of you will know A2A access to archives, the biggest, but there's also there's a complete alphabet soup of networks. Um, there's AIM25, there's Archives Hub, there's SCAN, Scottish Archives Network, there's even GASH, Guide to the Archives of Scottish Higher Education. There is no end to it, and as far, insofar as it's possible, we try and link to them all. And that means that at the moment we've got about 95,000 links out of just over 300,000 index entries. This is what something will look like. This is what we hope entries will look like in the future. Here's a man who has 10 entries on the personal index. And the miraculous thing about it is that in all 10 of these instances, we have a link to some kind of online finding aid. So first of all, we find that his records are in Princeton. So what we've managed to do is to go there. Would you know what I was talking about if I said that we just pick up the URL 
and paste it into our administrative system. Well, it, that's, the, that's the thing up here. We, we just highlight that, copy it, uh, and bring it back into our own system. Hey, presto, we've got a link. I don't know how it works, but even I can do it, so it can't be that difficult. Um, so there's the Raymond Mortimer collection, and I think you'll agree that gives you a little bit more idea of what sort of a person he was, just from being able to look at those pictures. And then as we go down, we find that in it, usually we would try and structure this, because some of the entries can be quite big. Biggest of all is William Ewart Gladstone, who's got something over 160 entries against him. Duke of Wellington comes a, a, you know, a fairly close second. Florence Nightingale's got 63 in notice. So this is still on, on the modest scale, but as we go down the screen you can see we've arranged the correspondences more or less in alphabetical order, and at the end there's some stuff, that, uh, there's some correspondence with Virginia Woolf, and again we've got a link to that, so if we want a description of the papers, now we're through to Sussex University Library uh, and a, a, a description of those papers. So that is how things are going. What things are going to look like? You know, ideally you'll be able to do all this from home. We'd still love to see you do come back to the National Archives, but you know, it did used to be that you could only really use the National Register of Archives if you turned up at our offices between the hours of 9:30 and 5 o'clock, Monday to Friday. Now it's a case that you know if you can use it at home at one in the morning with almost as much success. And we're just going to sort of continue with that process until the experience for the remote user is almost as good as the, the, the experience of the personal user on site. I say almost. And I'll show you one more dodge you can do with this. Looking for people, particularly if you're looking for peers uh, the members of the aristocracy, it might be easier to know, to look for them by their title rather than by their family name. Because if you look, for example, for the Dukes of Buckingham, you're going to find it's an awful lot easy to look for them that way than it is to look for somebody under their name of Temple Nugent Bridges Shandos Grenville. And in addition to that, of course, the family name changed over time so that if you find, for example, the, that would be the Buccleuch family, uh, you would find that, that some of them are Scots and some of them are Scot. It's all a bit, it's all a bit confusing. Yes, Montague, Douglas, Scott, and, and so on. So the family name changed over time with, with further marriages uh, and um, became more complicated. So if you want all the Buccleuchs, it's easier to bring them up as Buccleuch rather than under any family name. Um, something that has occurred to me, actually, which is that how comprehensive is it in terms of what we put on? Um, and, and the answer to that is that we don't go down usually to sort of the level of individual letters. We try and pick up a person's own papers and also substantial groups of other letters in other collections. So it does mean that you can't expect to bring up somebody and find every letter that they ever wrote in every repository around the world. You won't quite find that, but we will, we've kind of picked out the highlights and, that's, and, and, and covered most of those things. Okay, well, um, I will move on now. And 
If you look at the corporate name uh, search, that gives you combined search, and it's a combined search of two indexes, the organizations index, which is massive, and the business index, which is a good deal smaller, but still um, is uh, quite complex in its own way. There are about 32,000 businesses on the uh, indexes, and I'll come to those in a minute. But you know, I started by saying to you that uh, the simplest thing to do is to keep your search as simple as possible. So if you have something that you think is an unusual search term and you think that that is going to work for you, why not go for it? So, okay, let's try. You're looking for something with the word rabbit in the title. So let's search for all the things that contain rabbit. What you find is there are quite a number of societies involved with rabbits, no, not so much with the care of rabbits, you might say. <laughs> that is, until you come across the Wembley Pastry and Rabbit Club, who <laughs> are at least a little bit more constructive in their approach to rabbits. Okay, let's go in and have a look at one of them. And if we go into the historical information tab, you can see that this is uh, this is a, a, a this has been classified further, that there is a, cl a classification, societies and associations. Now, that's an enormous classification. So it's been broken down further. Um, into, and so there's, there's a subcategory for agricultural societies. But even though we've now gone for agricultural societies only, you can see that there are still 877 records that you might want to look at. So. Again, in this case, if, if you find that there's too much information, just go back and refine your search. But this, as I was saying to you, was this is some of the functionality which we've put in, which is quite sophisticated, but which apparently, we're told, very few people are using. And it's a pity because, uh, and that indeed, that's the whole point of the talk today, so that you can, you can use the system, you can manipulate the system, and the more you use it and, and the more ways that you use it, uh, the more I hope you, you get out of it. So as I say, if you have an unusual search term, that's the thing to do. Now, there can't be many t societies with the word Waldensian in it, so, but I know that there's a, a Waldensian Missions Aid Society Scotland. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Waldensians. Yes? Italian Protestants? Mm -hmm. and, and indeed, seen from the Scottish perspective, uh, a persecuted minority who were deserving of assistance. Now, their records have been deposited in the National Library of Scotland, and what we have done is to go and pick up that information. And again, it's a case of, these are what are called PDF files, which I'm sure many of you know better than I do, uh, what they are. But it, again, it just means it's, it's something else that we can pick up paste into our system and link to. And that means that what would normally, you know, would normally come to us as two pages and be filed in one of these Kalamazoo binders. Now we just link to. Okay, let's say we want to do a more sophisticated search. What I've done is you've got other ways to search and you can do, you can do a browse, but you're going to have to browse an awful lot, but it does mean that there. Are, if you're afraid of missing something, then, then we have a browse facility available. 
more to the point perhaps would be that you can enter criteria that you're interested in and let's say you are interested in societies and associations and let's say you're interested in welfare and charitable societies and let's say you're really only interested in leads uh, and if you enter those criteria and you do a search it brings up it, it brings up a select list of of things so that uh, that in that way you can limit your your search but as i say the best thing to do is to start with the most general search you can and only refine it when you find that it's bringing up too much information i go to the business index business index is is structured sort of quite similarly Again, it's a case of if you have an unusual name, you might want to enter that and you would get a result from it. Alternatively, you can sort of search by sector. And let's say we're interested in Cardiff ship owners. Then you would, uh, you would choose the sector, transport and communications, from the drawdown. And you would go for shipping companies. And then you would enter Cardiff. Now, what that would do would be it would limit your search it means that you've still got 20 records, but if you're looking for Cardiff ship owners, there they all are. So um, that, that's, that is how you can, you can manipulate the information uh, so that you come up with a very specific list of the things that you're interested in. Okay, we've looked at the corporate names, we looked at the personal names. There's also family name, because one of the great strengths of the Historical Manuscripts Commission and the National Register of Archives is that it did have extensive coverage of what you might call the stately homes of England and Scotland, Wales and Ireland too, I may say. So what, we can, what you can do is, I'll take you to an advanced search. So because sometimes you may be interested in a place but you wouldn't necessarily know who lived there. And for example, I can never remember or at least I may, must affect never to remember when I'm doing this in front of an audience. Who is it lives at Castle Howard? I forget. So if I can't remember who the, what family I'm looking for, I can look for them by seat. And what comes up is that it's the Howard family, Earls of Carlisle. And then we can find that there's a, a description of the, the records here. Uh, and you can see that there's a catalogue. Uh, and actually this is a Funnily enough, this is a catalogue that comes up quite a lot, mainly because I think the people at Castle Howard like to send people to us um, uh, because it's a, the tr things are a little bit restricted there in terms of access to the archives. There is archival information on the site, though where it is eludes me for the moment. But again, this is a, an, an example of how We've come through to Archon, we've built a lot of information into the system, we've gone out and harvested this information. Um, I won't say that we've done it without people's consent, but we do rather assume that if they've got a website they want people to visit it. So if we, built, if we simply paste that into our own system, they can hardly complain. Somebody did complain once and said, what are we doing on Archon? And I said, well, all we've done is put together various bits of information that are already in the public domain. If you're upset about it, we'll take it away again. But, you know, we think it's useful. And they said, mm, on balance, I think you're right. So we kept it. <laughs> um, so that's how we work, that, there's, that, that things are brought together under. And 
it's amazing how family uh, papers are, can, can be so widely scattered because many of the large, aris, um, large families had uh, estates in a number of different places uh, and therefore there has been a mixture of local deposit and there uh, may be papers that are retained by the family in private collections or the stately home itself may have an archivist as it does in this case. So, and again, is, there's an opportunity for you to search by family name, you can search by seat, or if you want to do country or county, um, you can enter cri the criteria there and, and you, can sort of, you can narrow your search or expand your search according to taste. It's all there for you to, to do. Okay, I think that the thing that I would like to show you now is Archon. Now, we've already been to Archon, so in a sense, there's nothing to tell you. You've just seen it. It ca contains all the contact details that we've got for repositories and it also contains details of the information that we've got in the National Register of Archives. Can also, what we've done is we've, we've got this map so that if you're interested you can either click, you can either choose the whole of England, have an A to Z of it, or you can have the whole of Scotland, an A to Z of that, or you can click on the various regions such as the southeast here. If you think that that's really the only area in which you're going to be interested in, so there's a number of different ways of approaching it. What I'm going to do is to show you Hampshire Record Office. The reason I'm going to show you Hampshire Record Office is that Hampshire is one of the record offices that has gone pretty much comprehensively online. Now, what we did have was that we've got a number of their catalogues here already and you can see that there's 619 catalogues and you can see that in almost every case there is a link to an online catalogue and in fact where there isn't it's only because we've we've entered too much information because we can't link to two separate catalogues at the same time which is what the problem is with Aldershot Borough and that if we went back and sorted that out then it would be possible for us to link but what's ha what often happens is that we get repositories to send us uh, a lot of their information about um, links for all the catalogues. We run it through our system, and with luck, that generates a lot of links automatically. If it doesn't, we then need to go through and change things manually. But that's a, a slower process altogether. Unavoidable in many instances, but a lot slower. So this is ideally what a, rep what, um, a repository should look like in that we've got all these numbered lists, uh, but we've, you can also simply link to the, um, the collection itself and, and get the, the most up-to-date description because you're getting right through to the archive repository. So if they change that this morning, then that would be absolutely up to the minute. Whereas a lot of the lists that we've, that we've got filed here, there might have been additions which we, we haven't got. We have maybe don't have the latest version of the list so I think this is, this is the best solution for everyone. A page for a county record office would generally hold a lot of information because there's lots of details about whether, what the opening hours are and whether there's disabled access and whether there are, uh, indeed, whether the, there's material on networks so that if Hampshire, for example, is on A2A, then there will be a link to A2A and you can search it on that if you wanted to. Time is pressing a little bit, so I'll take you to something which is of interest. And if you blink, you might miss it because 
there you've got a nice map and it's all the UK and you can sort of go anywhere you like. But there is a, a there is another world of repositories um, that you can go to. And what you've got is that we've got these are all the foreign repositories that hold material relating to British history. Why do so many foreign repositories hold material relating to British history? Have they been buying it? Have they been stealing it? <laughs> it's more a case of we've been leaving stuff behind. In that you would expect that if there was material, if you were looking for material on the Boer War, not only would you look in the in repositories in the UK, but you would want to look in South Africa as well. So if we have a look at what our South African coverage is, you find that we've got 18 repositories that hold material. Some of them, it has to be said, you know, we we don't know very much about the Kafrarian Museum, and I, in fact, this is a folly of my own insofar as it's only an account of me that it's got on at all. And I, don't, I must go back and check sometime and see if they've got a website. Okay, it's all on the basis of this gentleman here, John Patrick Fitzgerald, Medical Superintendent of British Kafraria. Uh, and he had some letter books and, uh, and I picked that up on the web. It's not a particularly good reference, but there you go. It does at least... It's a case of either I had to capture it as best I could or else you know, we could lose that information altogether. So you can see that by far the biggest contributor of all of these things is the US of A and 200 with 276 repositories altogether. And in many of these instances, what we're finding is that it's possible for us to link a lot of that information. Here's the Friends Historical Library, Swarthmore College. And what I found was that it was possible to pick up this information uh, and at the same time tie it you know, on the basis of things that they've put up themselves. So again, it's a case of I highlight and sort of steal the, 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 uh, the reference, paste it into our own system, and hey presto, we've got a link. So there we are, we've got, some, we've got some big repositories, we've got some small repositories, we've got some downright unlikely repositories. And I always like to sort of come back to the National Archives of Malawi, simply because if you're used to the size and scale of the National Archives at Kew, then it's always amusing to sort of see that, you know, you can, what we do on the scale of a, a factory or a warehouse, they do on the scale of a bungalow. Now, we don't actually know anything about what their holdings are, uh, but I mean, neither we will unless we sort of keep that information here so we can go to their website from time to time. And what we'll do is I'll just check on it and say, okay, let's have a look. Let's see if we've got any interesting information that we can pick up. And actually, that's. Um, so we can go back from time to time. Now that we've found it, now that we've captured that information, now that we've put it on uh, Archon, what we will do, uh, I would hope at some point, is that we'll actually go and we'll pick up things that we would want to know about and we'll put them into the system. Uh, at the moment, you can see this is a very bare Archon entry. There's very little in the way of information at all. And there's nothing that ties in uh, with the National Register of Archives. But as I say, in future that could all change, and I hope that it will, because the place is just full of unlikely things. And for example, here is Iceland. You wouldn't expect there to be that much, but 
actually have managed to finesse this information because there's somebody who's a librarian and Icelandic scholar. Now, you might think that somebody called Magnusson might actually have been Icelandic and was therefore not an appropriate person to be on the system, but I think it doesn't actually don't actually have the link here, but you see, I've spent most of his life in Cambridge, I understand, and therefore he has a strong connection, and they seem to feel that he was sufficiently British to put him in the Oxford Dictionary of National Biography, and if he's good enough for them, he's good enough for the National Register of Archives. And so that these are some of the ways in which we're sort of using current technology to sort of reach out and gather in material which before you would only hear of uh, as the vaguest of rumours. Um, when we're looking for foreign repositories, what we can do, you can Google it, of course, but there's also a, a, a site hosted by the University of Idaho. It's called Repositories of Primary Sources, and that's usually where I go to have a browse and see if there are any new... They divide the world up into kind of areas so that they'll have, I mean, a sort of... Latin America and the Caribbean or they'll have you know Europe A to L and M to Z so that you can sort of look through that and see if there's anything new that has gone on and if there's anything likely um, then you sort of might uh, we might think of capturing it on the whole we te we've tended to pick these things up partly by la largely by accident or uh, as kind of opportunist things um, because sometimes we've got so little information to go on, there isn't really anything that we can do. The other thing to look at is that there's a book called The World of Learning, and that always had the, it has all the address information for all learned societies, repositories, libraries, all around the world. But these days we're more interested in getting web-based stuff. This event was recorded live on the 5th of August 2008 at the National Archives Q. This podcast is copyright the National Archives. All rights reserved.